Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color as they share about the inspiring stories that led to the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to endure and overcome along the way. Hey, Myla. Hey, Ed. Guess what? What do we got? We're getting close to the end of our first season of the Every Voice Now podcast. Wow, I can't believe it. Time has been flying. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this experience as much as we have enjoyed creating the show. We're going to end season one with a bang between this episode and our last one coming up. Today, we'll hear from Adam Thomason, author of Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. Awesome title. Ed, I know you had a chance to work with Adam on this book. Without revealing too much, since I know we'll hear more from you later, can you give us a taste of what we might expect from this conversation? with Adam? First of all, this is a very honest and raw book, a story that's sort of part memoir, part artistic expression. Adam is a very talented and gifted young man, poet, a filmmaker, a hip-hop enthusiast. He has lots of interesting stories to share, and his journey is just powerful. It's a journey of, of healing a journey of hope. I know our listeners are going to appreciate it. It's a little different, but I think it's going to be really engaging. Well, let's get to it then. We hope you all enjoy this conversation. today to welcome Adam Thomason, author of Permission to be Black to the Every Voice Now podcast today. So welcome, Adam. Hey, it's good to be here. So Adam, can you tell us about your personal backstory, where you grew up, and just share with our listeners about your family origin? I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. The city was fractured in 1967. I was born in 1980. So during that time, you know, if you live below eight mile, which I did, that was the majority of Black folks like 96% African-American at the time. And then if you lived above eight mile, majority Caucasian. I lived when the highest potent part of the schism of the city was there. Then I went down to the Georgia South. And that's when the world of everything opened up because I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. So you got our school in one hand, and then you got the Southern way of life in the other hand. And that... All of it was foreign to me. And so where do you currently reside? I actually live in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. You know, yeah, oddly enough. Um, And I say oddly enough because I experienced a lot of racism in the South firsthand. And and I don't say that in the sense like, well, everybody experiences racism as African-American, male or female. But you got to understand when you grow up in a pro-Black, predominantly Black city as Detroit, like Malcolm X was famous there. He would speak there. The Black Nation uh, was founded there. So Black Church, uh, it, it was just like a Mecca of Blackness. And then you go down to the South, you're like, what? Now what? White people, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, what is racism? You know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so that's what I mean. It was a new world. Like, Damn. man, wow. You know, where is this coming from? So, I mean, you kind of touch on, on it, but we want to talk a little bit about that ethnic identity journey. And so what were notable points in that journey for you? When is the earliest you can remember coming face to face with the concept of your Black identity? Really? That's a good question. 
I think it was a relationship of a, a woman outside my race, Caucasian ethnicity she was or she is. And then, you know, obviously I'm African-American. Interesting thing about that, I was returning from Palestine. They they have this view of uh, family and uh, togetherness in a sense it doesn't take the skin color into existence. So I'm coming from Palestine and I see this nation of people love me with such a veracity. Then I come back to the States in the Georgia South and this woman's dad didn't want us to have this relationship because of my skin color. My first thought wasn't race, actually. You see what I'm saying? That, that's how far from my mind I'd never experienced that until I got into the South, even overseas. So when she said that, I'm thinking, like, ah, maybe it's the class thing. Maybe I don't make enough money. You know, I'm a fashion designer. I'm going through all this list. So then when she said, you know, it's because you're Black, I go, really? In the church? Like, that's a thing? You know, like, I was so stunned. At 20 years old, I was stunned. Well, Adam, we'll talk more about the premise of your book in the next segment. But for now, can you give us a window into what it was like to grow up as a black boy in Detroit? Being able to talk to a counselor now, I realize I was stressed out as a kid. Like, <laughs> I'm the youngest of three, so I didn't see my parents argue. My dad left at home when he was 12 trying to find himself. So I never saw them argue. So I never saw the house as stressful. But once you walked out that door, it was so stressful. And I tell people, if I could just put the cop discussion aside, you're asking a question, which side is it going to come from? Like, is it is it is it going to come from getting jumped by said gangs, you know, trying to do initiation, you know, straight bullets drive by someone's loose dog where they doing dog fighting and the dog gets loose. You just stressed out. Like, where is it going to come from? So every time you left. Every time you left the house, you, looking back on it, you realize, oh, that's what I was feeling. It was stressful. It was really stressful. No exaggeration. Let's talk about how you began writing, because obviously I think writing seems to be one of your outlets for catharsism and just yeah. re releasing a lot of that, <laughs> that built up pressure. Could you talk yeah. about your writing journey? How did you begin down this road of expressing yourself through the written word? Going into my senior year, we had this... Uh, talent show at Savannah College of Art and Design in college. And there's a guy named Anise. He's a famous poet. And he stood up on stage and he delivered this spoken word. I was so amazed at the wordplay, the candor, the personification, the alliterations, the connotations, the sarcasm. And I go, that is what I need to do to express what I've been through and how to draw people in. So it was then that I started writing. I, you know, I took a poetry class and a writing class and um, creative writing, all these types of classes. And we started writing. We had a crew of us. It was five of us that would travel and do spoken word before it was cool. That was in 2002. So it was before it was Vogue. You know, not everybody's a poet. Right. And <laughs> that's, that's all right. That's all right, though. <laughs> so that was in 2002. And honestly, since 2002, it really has been a way of expressing and saying, um, like you said, what you feel you need to be said as a way of catharsis. Can you uh, 
share a little bit with us? You are not only uh, a writer, but a spoken word poet, as you said. And actually, it's one of the very remarkable features of uh, your book is that you drop little spoken word pieces throughout the chapters, and it's pretty powerful. So would you be willing to share a little bit with us today? So this this spoken word piece is called New New Horizon. Now, New Horizon I wrote as a sort of hope, but focusing on our foundation of what I believe African-Americans were a given here, specifically 1619. But I'm saying God is changing that. So I started off with, Hey, this is where we started, but God is taking us to another place. Bread given to breed, because we were bread to breed. Shame to speak. Whips, chains, auctions, violation of the body and conscience. They sold off more than our bodies, looted, suited, and booted, to be present with Sambo's smile. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Haughty, the spirit of our oppressor. Our lineage only knows stressors. The enemy discipled us into being the aggressor. Freedom not of this origin soil, but this ain't our soil. No more vain toil. From the door of no return with no ability to speak. The wind of God kept us despite the plan to bury us deep. The charade to be over. We get closure. Mourn for then, more for now. Now bow, it will bow. Wow, that was so good. Thank you, Adam, for sharing that piece with us. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll talk more with Adam about his journey to getting his book published. And so stay tuned, and thank you for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. Myla, can you believe it's been nearly a year that we have been dealing with this pandemic? I know, I can't believe it. I mean, I'm trying to stay positive about it all, but it's been such a hard season for so many people. You know what has helped me get through it all? I bet I can guess, books. (laughs) You got it. And I especially enjoy seeing the new releases that IVP has coming out by their authors of color, like Steve Tamayo's Bible Study on Ethnic Identity or Lamar Hardwick on Disability and the Church. Yeah, and I love checking out the Every Voice Now webpage and seeing all the recent and forthcoming books by authors of color. And anyone can go to everyvoicenow.com and see that list as well with all the episodes for season one of our podcast. And keep listening to find out how you can get a great deal on those titles and more at ivypress.com. Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth. And with us today is our guest, Adam Thomason, author of Permission to be Black, which releases on February 23rd. And later in the show, we'll actually be sharing with you how you can receive a special discount on Adam's book. So hang in there for that. I know you're going to like that. Adam, speaking of your book, let's talk a little bit more about your publishing journey. Earlier, we discussed your journey into writing in general. Let's talk about publishing. How did you get to the point of wanting to actually write a book? 2007, I I had the privilege of working at a college in Memphis, Tennessee, by the name of Crichton College. And there, they've had racial issues for quite a long time. So there, 
I was a campus pastor. The students coming in, they just had issues dorming with each other, you know, the black and white students. Me and my boss at the time, we just said, you know what, Adam, what, what if you wrote just a handbook guiding them through how to navigate one another's cultures and uh, racial issues from a Christ-centered perspective? That handbook was called Red Revolution. That handbook, we did a one-day conference kind of celebration where we put rap on, on the stage and then we put rock on the stage. Again, this was in 2007. And then they came together. It was this mashup. It was crazy. It was fun. It was what Reach Records, Lecrae, Tadashi, and those guys. And then a group out of Nashville. Unbeknownst to us, guess who's in the audience? Lifeway Christian Bookstores. They're there. And then they, they approached us about turning that handbook into a Bible study. And that's really where the, the publishing journey began. And that, so that, that was the first one with um, Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Red Revolution, seeing the world through the lens of Christ. And that's where my moniker comes from, Red Rev, you know, on Twitter and Instagram. It comes from that. Yeah. So that was that in 2000, 2007, 2008. I think the book came out in 2009. And then from that, my second book I wrote, but I did it 100% audio was uh, Confessions of an Ex-Evangelical, my, uh, Why I Left Christianity and Started to Practice Jesus. And then fast forward, I feel like a lot of African-American men are struggling with this weight and this expectation of culture, uh, theology. The whole person is not being fully accepted. I feel like piece of us that is God ordained has to be emasculated out in order for us to be accepted in certain quote unquote spiritual circles that call themselves followers of Christ. So that's why I initially wrote this journey because I saw a lot of people really struggling. Like they were struggling and I saw a lot of people, they go to mental institution job. They're literally going out of their mind. They commit suicide. I'm saying, Lord, we don't we don't have permission to be ourselves. Now, I didn't come up with that, that quote unquote title until we got into the journey with university. But that was the angst that I was feeling. And it grew out of that, that uh, the expression of the trauma that you recognized. Some of what you write about is the idea that for many African-Americans, for many black people, there's this sense that. That's just it's just normal to feel this angst and this pain and this this anguish. And that's just your lot in life. But you're writing from a place of identifying that as as something that goes against the order of what the best that God has for us and naming it what it is. It's a traumatizing journey, a traumatizing experience. Yes. Yes. Amen. No, it is. And here's the linchpin of that thought. We couldn't even process what you just said legally. It was literally illegal for us to process our humanity. And a lot of people don't understand that. So you could say like, hey, Adam, when you were young, it was a lot of stress that was going out the door. Sure. But there wasn't legislation. As, as traumatic as it was when I was little, it wasn't legislation. What I'm saying is. In America, there was legislation saying you're not a full human. So would not being a full human, three-fifths of the person, you don't get to say that hurts. You don't get to even understand what hurt means. You don't even get to have emotions. So we had to survive and we morphed 
that into what it means to be black. And so blackness then became strong. But then you you see the the good of it where you get the blues and maybe singing and, and, and acting and things like that. But behind the scenes, these people are still struggling. So what I'm saying is, I believe it was a revelation of the Lord. that no, the times are, have changed and we can't call traumatic catharsis blackness and healthy anymore. I think we can actually go to a new level where we're healthy and we're putting out great content, but not from embodying so much pain anymore. Right now is an interesting time. There's a lot of interest in books written by people of color, especially by black authors, which is great to see in the marketplace. But when you proposed this book, it was a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm curious, what kind of interest was there in this book, especially for the Christian market? It's a different book. The honesty, the, the candor, and just the rawness of it. Uh, were there hurdles that stood in your way through the publishing journey? Or can you, can you talk a little bit about how you came to publish it? Anybody who knows me knows I'm a write it or do it, get it out, leave the results to God. I understand branding and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I go to the Lord. If he can part the Red Sea, he can get this where he needs to get it. Right. So initially I wrote it and I was going to self-publish. And that's where my friends where That's why you got to have friends. You got to have people you submit to. They go, nah, we're not going to let you just put this one out. We believe this one's more important than to just let you put it out and, and see where it goes. So. Kudos to them and then, you know, the Holy Spirit letting me listen to them and, and not having a hard heart. So when we put together this book proposal and we're shopping it around, honestly, a lot of people, they understood it. But it's what I it's what I thought they were going to do most in the culture. They want to go with trends. Then they are predictors and prophets of what's to come. Right. So a lot of them read the proposal. Was like, oh, man, this is dynamic. But we, we think the market may be a year or two away from it. And, and, and in my head, I go, market. I don't care about the market. This this is a prophetic burden. I, I said, look, you need to feel that this is what the Lord wants you to put out. That happens. We'll take care of the marketing and all that. You see what I'm saying? So it, I, I wouldn't even say hurdles. It was just typical. And that's why I tend to self-publish is because I spent 10 years in the mu music industry. I'm in the film industry. I get it from a human standpoint, but sometimes you, you just like, well, somebody have the eyes to see beyond the trends. And that's why when the Lord brought us together, it was no doubt in my mind where I go, they get it and they get it beyond the flesh and blood understanding. So the subtitle of your book is My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus, which is a great subtitle. <laughs> um, so it's clear that those are two huge figures in your life. Can you flesh out what that means and how did you get to this point of developing that concept? You know, Jay-Z for me is a metaphor for having to protect yourself right? The, the, the street. And even if you're not street, I believe every black man feels that need to protect themselves, to go through a radar of once I go out this door, it's not safe. And if you listen to a lot of Jay-Z music, it's like that. And then Jesus is that moniker of, yes, I follow 
Jesus. I follow Yeshua, but what about the day-to-day of this unsafety? What about if I get pulled over? And the answer of, hey, just pray, doesn't relieve the stress when I see a cop behind me. And in the book we developed that, we developed how Christ he had zealots, you know, and you know, obviously zealots were those who rolled with the sword from the Maccabean tradition, um, who overthrew their Greek oppressors, Antiochus Epiphanes. And so we missed the tangibility of Christ not being like, hey, just wait until heaven until he was like, no, get a sword, sell your robe and your tunic, get a sword. Because <laughs> he knew the times of the Romans. So we missed that element of Christ as well. So I was just trying to fuse the two, though the two have always been separate. This comes from a, a place of deep authenticity, which is, of course, true. We hope true of most books, but your willingness to really ex- dig deep into your soul and express your raw emotion around this journey is is unique. I, I really hope readers are able to experience just the the depth of that. So, Adam, as we transition, would you bless us with one more uh, (laughs) spoken word? (laughs) All right. Arise, spoken word. Arise from the pious prayers and posture of God, please. Refuse to purchase products that cushion your knees. You have the answers to the test, and is it not you? It is a community beyond the scope. In the knowledge that you are accustomed to. It comes through the voices that you have been told to discard, real trauma repackaged and sold at a premium, that you or your community have purchased and called it identity. As you stand and fight for the badges and medals that honor you among your brethren, your soul withers. You continue the piety of waiting for a God, Superman, that is not coming but something greater has come. Your deceptive programming gave you a code of beliefs that health is anti everything you stand for. Yes, it is anti, anti anti-ego, anti-pain, anti-cowardice, anti-internalization, and all things slavery and fear. Accept the form of freedom outside of the stifling standards that steeped within yourselves. Arise. We need to take one more break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Adam and find out more about what led him to becoming the person to write Permission to be Black. But first, it's time for our Behind the Book segment, where we pull back the curtain and find out more of the story behind the scenes at IVP. Today, you'll actually hear more of the backstory from me, as I had the privilege of serving as Adam's editor. So take a listen. Welcome to Behind the Books. I was so proud to have been able to participate as the editor of Permission to be Black. And Adam joins me here because we want to pull back the curtain just a little bit to give the listeners a a peek inside the process for coming up with the powerful, striking cover image for your book. Listeners could pull it up on their screen right now. (laughs) They look for it at at ivpress.com. Let me say, first of all, (laughs) that we sort of departed from the typical uh, (laughs) process of a book cover. Usually the publisher, the art director in-house will come up with some concepts Mm -hmm. and we'll work those up and then share those with the author. 
and ask if any of those sort of strike them as being direction they'd want to go. And then we sort of go back and forth from there. But in this case, as an artist yourself, as a creative visual artist, a filmmaker, of course, had something to say about (laughs) (laughs) visual effect of this book. We came up with a, uh, a collaboration that led to a really striking image. Can you talk a little bit about your vision and what you were thinking? You know, as I as I wrote this book, I was asking a question: What what could communicate to the listener? Just initially, if they didn't even read the back paragraph, would they get it? And one of the things that that I would say is prevalent in the culture I grew up in. You, you saw a lot of you just saw a lot of guys with face tattoos. And it's so striking, right? Even if the person is the nicest person, you know, and they can have glasses on. You, just, you know, a face tattoo is still a face tattoo, right? <laughs> good, good, right or wrong prejudice is still that reality. And so I was thinking, man, what if, what if it was a self-proclaimed portrait? So I just sketched out that of myself and just started writing the words on my face in the sketch. People who influenced me, people that I wrestle with, people that I was told not to listen to or become, but something could be redeemable about them, right? And so as I started sketching that out, I I was thinking like, this will be great if we actually depicted this and didn't Photoshop it. If, If you all listening, look at the trailer or the promo for it. That was at a time I was at actually a deep reflection. I want to say at that time we did it, it might have been around uh, right off the hills of Ahmad Aubrey into Rayshard Brooks. I, I recently went to a protest and I was just somber. Bro. I was in thought just like, man, Lord, how long, oh Lord? You know, and so if you, you look at these names and it's different angles, if you look at the cover, then in, inside the book, you'll see names of my mother or my aunt, my wife, you know, to people like Ava, Spike Lee. And, and you just reflect like, wow, a lot of us have been asking for permission in different ways. We just haven't used those words. If listeners wanted to see the video of the creation of that that photo, where would they go? Would it be at permissiontobeblack.com? Yeah, it'd be at permissiontobeblack.com. Well, thanks, Adam. Thanks for giving us a little look behind the scenes of how that important uh, image came together. No problem. My honor. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. Today, we've been talking with Adam Thomason, author of Permission to be Black. And so keep listening to find out how you can get a special 40% discount on Adam's book at ivypress.com. So Adam, let's talk more about the importance of your voice, especially in this topic that you wrote in your book. Why does it matter that the church hears from voices such as yours? And what are the unique qualities and perspectives of Black men and women today in Christian books that are generally missing in other titles? That's good. I think that's a phenomenal question. Uh, In the book, I talk about the Jesus you never knew. And I talk about how my 17 years of being on on church staffs and preaching um, from from 17 to 34. I'm 40 now, so it's been six years. I've never heard sermons, even in, even in the black church, and I'm going to say why. I've never heard sermons that uplifted the humanity of Jesus down to why he chose to wrap himself in Jewish brown skin and not Roman fair majority culture skin. I'm going, I'm getting very tangible, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 says, 
for our sake, he became poor. He impoverished himself so that we might become the riches of God. We make that very ethereal and spiritual, right? So that our sins could be forgiven. But one Messianic rabbi says, if you think about how tangible that is, that this, this, this God would wrap themselves in human flesh and he didn't choose Roman skin, he chose Jewish skin. He didn't just choose Jewish skin. He chose the Jewish skin of a region where Nazareth population at max was 500 people. It wasn't off of a main road. So they worked with their hands. They were considered these country type people, less than type people. He didn't go to school. And so when you go through all those filters, you're going to have a perspective of the kingdom and the savior that's so potent that the, the majority people and the messages that they get, they're not even getting this potency. Right. So I think it's so important because when, when quote unquote minorities, write, We have a perspective that the majority culture just won't get. We have a prophetic edge that they just won't get because you haven't been subjected. Right. So, and that's where the quote unquote body comes together. But when you only allow the majority to speak, they're just going to give you a majority perspective. So they have to be in tandem so they both can share in the perspectives of each other. Adam, you write about the need to pursue healing from past trauma. What needs to change in the church so that more people of color will experience healing and wholeness? And, and, That's and, good. and what are you calling for the church to do in order to begin that, that kind of process? So I'll talk about it from uh, how God allows us to heal from a kingdom perspective down to the cellular level. So one of my, one of my friends, he's at Yale. He's a doctor, Dr. Uh, knee, a die, uh, African-American guy. So I know him. And then another lady I learned from, from a distance, Dr. Carolyn Lee. What they both share in common is that they are kingdom neurologists. Neurology, you know, how the brain functions and affects the body, your, your neurosis. And both say, when you study the cellular makeup of the body, God has set the body in a, in a way, even from the neurology, that it can heal itself if you, and they will quote verses, think on these things. And they say, so when, when, when Paul says, whatever is good, uh, of good repute, think on these things, we will see that as, well, I just got to really quote scripture and, <laughs> you know, think of good things. But the neurologist, the kingdom neurologist is saying, no, no, no. We've studied the brain and the cellular makeup. When you think about negative things, it actually creates dark spots in your brain and it erodes the brain. And when you think on the things that are lovely, of good repute, it actually heals the body, right? So they're saying, this is not just you go in the closet and quote some things, right? So I think to answer your question, land the plane to answer your question, the church has to have a fuller understanding of how God uh, shaped the body for its healing in tandem with the scriptures and the spiritual element that we, we like to, to emphasize here in the West. And I would say the historically the, 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 the church, I would say black and white, 
have allowed it to be more of a, you just pray it away. You see what I'm saying? Um, so I would say that. And then the last thing I'll also say is there, there's an element that I still believe that assimilation has to happen for people of color. When I say assimilate, more assimilate into the group, the, the, the group thought versus allowing someone's culture to be what it is. And then what I would say we do is we, we need to create an expanse in our understanding of life to bring this sliver of culture in because this sliver of culture helps us understand God all the more. Well, we are so grateful that the Lord brought you university's way and that we were able to collaborate on this important project. Is there one more spoken word piece that you would want to take us out with? So this one is good and fun because I was talking about how my, I call him Don Furious. His name is Don Worcester in the book, but Don Furious, Furious is a character in uh, Boys in the Hood. But how he said, you need to name the pain. You need to give a name to the pain. And then also when we look in the scriptures, when Christ was talking to the garrison demoniac, he said, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion for as many of us. And, and by that name, he told him to get out and go into the pigs. And so you got to be willing to name, give a name to these things so that you can heal from them. So this, this is where this spoken word piece comes from. So name, a name. There is so much in a name, a simple name. It is the declaration of what you believe a child will be. It is the statement of what you want your business and product to stand for. So much in a name. Imagine a child growing up and not knowing what to call his or herself, but boy or girl. Not Zion, David, Deborah, or Jael. There is power to a name. Even pain deserves a name. Not to linger and be a reminder, but to be dealt with and dissolved. Neglect, you did hurt, and I mourn you. And now I close that door. Prejudice, from the religious, you did hurt. I cry that reality, and you are dissolved. There is so much in a name. What are the names of pains that mingle in your head and body that refuse to go because you have not named the obvious, but pretend it is not there? Name the pain, mourn to heal, dissolve those dams that dare to damn us to silence and despair, emancipate the fullness of God's intended design. Thank you, Adam, for sharing your spoken word, for sharing about your story, your book, all of it. We're so excited to be able to even be a small part of this journey with you. It's such an honor to have been your editor on, on this project. Thank you. Likewise. I'm glad it was you, Ed. Seriously. Well, before we close out, um, could you share with our listeners maybe how they can find you, whether it's on social media, if you have a website, any of that? We have been putting a lot of stuff at permissiontobeblack.com. You know, my personal re- website is I am Red Rev. So R-E-D as in red, R-E-V as in victory. So I am RedRev.com. And then all socials are Red Rev. Awesome. Well, we'll link it in the show notes for people to be able to find you. So before we go, we wanted to share with our listeners that you can find Adam's book at ivypress.com. 
Um, and you can use the promo code EVN40 and get 40% off and free shipping. So visit our site and get a great deal on Adam's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Clausen. If you are enjoying our show, please share about it with your friends and review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we love getting your feedback, so get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at EveryVoiceNow, or you can email us at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now.